you, Brother Sirstead. For the last few moments in particular, you people have made me feel very, very, very much at home. There's nothing that makes me more comfortable than getting in the big middle of a group of people that are worshiping God without inhibition and just abandoning themselves, abandoning themselves, getting outside of themselves as they give praise and worship to the Lord. I, I like that kind of environment, and that's where we're at right now. Do you recognize the presence of the Lord in this place? Are you convinced that he's here right now? Are you convinced that our God is in this place? Are you, do you feel and know that he is? Shake somebody's hand and say, Jesus is here. Praise God. appreciate the invitation to have come and to participate in this conference. I apologize that um, I was not here last night, but uh, I know well the man and the ministry of the man that you heard from last night, and uh, you, you were blessed in last night's service. Um, I must confess, though, Brother Sirstead, until just now, I had forgotten my agreement with you. Uh, I had forgotten that I had uh, agreed to fill Brother Phil White's slot tomorrow afternoon. So uh, I thought I was going to be preaching twice in the next two days here, but uh, we'll have to dig a little deeper. Maybe we can find something else. Praise God. Hallelujah. This, this is just a good atmosphere around here. Thank God for these kinds of meetings. This is my yeah. first opportunity to be here with you in Power Surge. I even like the name. Isn't that a good name? Power Surge. Uh, you call it Power Surge 96 or Power Surge 96? Uh, thank God for these kinds of meetings. Whether you folks really realize the worth and the value of these meetings or not, I, I, I don't know. But... Uh, and I could get in trouble, but I guess if Brother Westberg gets in trouble, I can get in trouble. He gets out somehow. I mean, he gets out of trouble. He gets in it, but he gets out. I'm going to stop there, but I just had evidence of the fact you were out of trouble last night. I'll tell you later. Uh, you're in good graces. But um, these kinds of meetings have meant, for the last 15 years, I think, these holiness meetings where preachers preach without restriction, without fetters, have been the survival, have meant the survival of Pentecost as we know it. Amen. Been meetings just like this. This is so valuable. This is so important that we are able to come together in this kind of a setting and uh, where men can preach the word of the Lord without fear or favor and without fetters and chains and restrictions 
and uh, we can hear the Word of God, uh, not, not compromised, and uh, our, our way of life, our convictions, our philosophies about the Word of the Lord and the work of the Lord Hallelujah. have been retained and maintained as a result of meetings just like this. I think we ought to lift our hands right now and thank God for this meeting. Thank God for the opportunity to be here in this kind of environment. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. God, we praise Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen, amen. Now, I want to say to you tonight that I believe preaching is a team effort. I don't believe preaching is intended to be a one-man show. I don't believe the most effective preaching happens when the preacher only preaches. Now, I can do that if I have to. But the most effective kind of preaching is when we do it together. It's a team effort. There is a give and there is a take. There is a giving and there is a receiving. There is a planting of the seed and an accepting of that seed. And that is where uh, God can do mighty works and glorious things can happen in the midst of the church. So we're going to do this together tonight. Can you say amen? Do you believe in worshiping the Lord during the preaching? Do you in, in believe in worshiping the Lord while the preacher preaches? Oh, yeah. Well, then I want you to show me tonight. Amen. I need your help. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. It's good to see all of the ministering brethren whom I know and deeply appreciate uh, that are here tonight. I won't attempt to call your names, but uh, I have a number of friends here men whom I regard as friends. It's good to see you, uh, good to be with you here in this meeting, and I'm anxious to hear some of you preach. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. How many want to be blessed? I do. How many want the Lord to say to you, I will bless thee? He said to Abraham, he said, I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. And the Lord said unto Abram, after the Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. 
And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plan of Mamre, which is Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. I want to speak to you tonight on this subject with God's help. Separation, the prerequisite to the blessing. Yes, Separation, the prerequisite to the blessing. Amen. Now let's worship the Lord and give him praise right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. God, I pray. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I need somebody to smile tonight. I, I, you look mighty, mighty somber and, and sad almost. So I want you to smile and shake a few people's hands and tell them I'm happy in Jesus. Just a little too. Come on, loosen up a little bit. Walk across an aisle and smile at somebody and say, I'm happy for the goodness of the Lord. I believe in having a happy church. I don't believe in a gospel that depresses you. I don't believe in a gospel that makes you sad. Yeah. You need to have happy church. Yeah. Folks come in out of the world sad and depressed and despondent and without hope. They walk into the house of God. There needs to be smiles on the faces of God's people. Woven into the fabric of the scene and the worship and the praise, there needs to be happiness. Amen. Smile and shout hallelujah. Praise God. I want to affirm at the onset of my message tonight that I strongly believe there is not anybody on the face of God's earth he had rather bless than the people who are gathered in this room tonight. I believe it is to the good pleasure of God to bless one God, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled, apostolic, holiness-living people. I believe God wants to bless us. I don't believe we have to twist his arm and put him in a corner and talk him into it. I think the good God of heaven is standing on his tiptoes tonight saying if there's anybody I want to do good things for, it's Jesus' name, apostolic, one God. Tongue-talking, holiness-believing people. I do not believe for one moment that because of what we believe and who we are, we have been put in some secondary position in God's eyes nor in this world. I don't believe there are any churches on the face of God's earth 
that God wants to grant growth to more than or as much as one God, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost, fill holiness-believing churches. I believe God wants to add to apostolic churches. I believe God wants to multiply holiness-believing churches. Neither will I allow you to convince me that because we believe what we believe, we are put in a weak position when it comes to growth. I don't believe that. I believe that's a lie that was spawned in the pit of hell. I believe God wants to multiply his true church. I believe God wants our altars to be filled. I believe he wants our waters of baptism to be troubled. He wants our buildings to be filled and overflowed. Praise God. Amen. I don't believe there's anybody God wants to bless with finance as much as he wants to bless us with finance. Right? I probably shouldn't stay there a long time because I lose some of you because you don't believe that. You may shout just to be polite for a little while, but you don't really believe it. Come on. You just believe that poverty comes along with the gospel. Poverty comes along with holiness. You think it's all part of the same package. It's another lie the devil's convinced you of and you swallowed it. I believe God, the God, the Father of us, our spiritual Father, He has the cattle on a thousand hills. Every nugget of gold and every mountain stream belongs to him. He has all the money in the world. And it's to his good pleasure to bless his people. I said his people. His people with finance. I don't believe we have to preach across uh, boxes as pulpits and preach out a little caves and corners of the city. I don't believe that we have to preach in little run-down buildings. When I pulled into this parking lot tonight, my heart leapt with joy to see this beautiful sanctuary and walked in here, saw everything as it is tonight. You wouldn't be embarrassed to bring anybody into this place. That's that's the way it ought to be. Because our God's got all the money in the world. I'm losing some of you. financial blessing for his people. There's not anybody God had rather give financial blessing to than godly, Holy Ghost-filled children of God. Praise God. I want to affirm that God wants to give apostolic people, holiness people, separated people, revival. He wants to give us miracles. More than we have ever imagined. He wants to do signs and wonders in our midst. God wants to do it. I said God wants to do it. I said God desires to do it. It is to his good pleasure. In case you haven't picked up on it already, I want you to get the idea. I don't have an inferiority complex because of what I believe. I don't believe that being an apostolic makes us separate, second rate in any 
manner of the word. I don't believe we're secondary citizens, second-rate citizens. I don't believe that we're down the line on the totem pole of success and blessing. I believe that we're the apple of God's eye. We're the choice of his creation. I believe he smiles on us and has more blessing to bestow upon us, the people of God, than we ever can imagine. Oh, my, my, this is just my introduction, and I'm hitting snags tonight. I'll tell you what, if you don't want me to preach a long time, get on board quick. Because when I hit a snag, I have to stop and dig out the stump. Yeah, A whole bunch of inferiority complexes around Pentecost. Thinking that because we stand for what we stand for and believe what we believe, that we just can't have some good things that God really wants us to enjoy. We, we have grown up with and we have inherited thinking that causes us to believe that poverty and smallness and, and doing without some things God would delight in giving to us just comes along with the message we preach. We have let the devil get away with that long enough. Somebody needs to dig their heels in and say we are the people of God. How God can do anything. And there should not be one thing we need to propagate the gospel in this world that we do not receive from our God. He'll grant it to us. I'm not talking about amassing big bank accounts. I'm not talking about accumulating great wealth. But I'm talking about whatever we need to get the commission done in this earth. Hallelujah! How come you folks let the Baptists convince you that Pentecostal people are supposed to be tucked away in some corner of the town? How come we have let the charismatics get away with talking us into the fact that they can have bigger and better buildings than we can have? How come we have let them get away with it? I preach to you tonight, we are the people of God. We are the children of God. God loves what you preach and stand for. God loves you because you preach it and stand for it. the devil convince us that because we won't compromise we gotta have little churches I'm gonna talk about that for a while tonight some of you may get a little nervous before I get finished all right well somebody shout hallelujah I'll tell you what disturbs me about the doctrine of separation or this statement uh, that I hear expressed sometimes concerning doctrine. We, we have a way of describing people, and, and in our own Pentecostal language, we create expressions. Yeah. And, and we say things like this, or at least I hear things like this said, about a brother or a church or a certain group of people. They really believe the doctrine, but 
They're not very strong on holiness. Uh -huh. Come on. They really believe the doctrine, but they don't really practice separation from the world. Come on, brother. Uh, somebody will leave our fellowship, and we'll ask the question, even though we know that the ladies are cutting their hair, wearing men's apparel, putting on jewelry. We know that. But we'll ask the question, are they still preaching the doctrine? Now that really does disturb me. Where did we get that kind of thinking anyway? Because you see, separation is a part of the doctrine. As a matter of fact, if you really want to get right down to it, separation is the essence of the doctrine. Separation is the purpose of the doctrine. That's what repentance is all about. Leaving the world behind you. That's what baptism's all about. To wash sin off of you. That's what receiving the Holy Ghost is all about. To give you the power and the grace of God to live victoriously and separated from a, a sin cursed system. That's what the gospel's for. That's the essence of it all. And I want you to know that the doctrine of separation is not some isolated idea in the Bible. It's not some concept that some red-eyed radical preacher invented when he got mad one day. The doctrine of separation is a major theme of God's Bible from the beginning unto the end. If you don't preach the doctrine of separation, you're not preaching the doctrine. You don't believe the doctrine of separation. You don't believe the doctrine. Will somebody say amen? You don't live a life of separation. You're not practicing the doctrine. Outside of redemption, and I don't know how you can separate that from do uh, the doctrine of separation. There is not a more major nor prominent theme in all of the Bible. How can we say when they don't live a life of separation uh, that they still believe the doctrine just because they baptize converts uh, in Jesus' name? Man, that's just a... It's just an evolved expression uh, amongst us that really has no substantiation in the word of the Lord right. because separation is what we call a major theme of the scripture. I don't have time to preach to you and to bring to your attention all of the samplings of scripture I could bring to you tonight. But separation was practiced in the Garden of Eden. Can you say amen? Yeah. I've read into your, in your hearing tonight, and I will come back to it in just a while. But we have shown to you that God required separation by Abraham and Lot. And previous to that, Abraham's father, Terah. Separation was required of Israel when they had found themselves in the bondage of Egypt before they could ever go to the promised land. Did right. you hear me? 
before they could ever have the promised land. They had to practice separation. They had to leave Egypt, which is a type of the world. Hallelujah. When the church in the book of Acts is talked about, it's called the church in the wilderness in Acts the seventh chapter in the 38th verse. The word there, that's Israel. He's referring to Israel during their wilderness journeys. And they are called the church in the wilderness or the ecclesia. Church, the ecclesia, which simply means the called out ones. God's people are the called out ones. Can you say amen? God's people are the called out ones. It was the same word, the very same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 16 when he himself made the personal announcement of his establishment of the church and the world. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my body of called out ones. I am preaching to you from Genesis to Revelation. God's Bible is filled with the doctrine of separation. It's not an isolated scripture somewhere. It's not the idea of some radical preacher. It's God's plan. It's God's program. It's God's doctrine. It's God's teaching. If you're going to belong to him, you've got to come out and separate yourself. Praise God. It's not an option. It's not something that can be or it's all right if it's not. It's not an option. If you're going to be one of his, you must, you must practice the life of separation. Brother White, read for me from Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The Lord said to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and this, say unto them, This is what I want you to tell them. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, How wh they do it in Egypt, Wherein ye dwell, Where ye live, Shall ye not do. You're not to do it like they do it. And after the doings of the land of Canaan. And after the doings of the land of Canaan. Whether I bring you. Where I'm going to take you. Shall ye not do. I don't want you to live like they live in Canaan either. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. I don't want you to walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgment. I want you to do my judgment. And keep mine ordinances. And keep mine ordinances. To walk therein. And walk therein. I am the Lord your I God. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes. I want you to keep my statutes. And my judgments. And my judgments. Which if a man do. If a man do it. He shall live in them. He's going to live in them. I am the Lord. Ah. I am the Lord. Praise God. I want you to know in 1996, God hadn't changed his idea about it. God still doesn't want us living like the Egyptians. God still doesn't want us doing what the Canaanites do. God still doesn't want us talking like the world talks. God still doesn't want us going where the world goes. 
doesn't want us dressing like the world dresses. God still doesn't want us being like the world is. If we're going to be his people, if we are his people, we must practice separation. Amen. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. Ye shall therefore keep all my statutes. I want you to keep every statute. And all my judgments. And all my judgments. And do them. And do them. That the land whither I bring you to dwell therein. That the land I'm going to take you to. Spew you not out. Doesn't spew you out. And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations. I don't want you to walk like them. Which I cast out before you. Which I'm going to cast out before you. For they committed all these things. Don't take on their lifestyle and just they, because they did them. Read on. And therefore I abhorred them. I abhorred them. But I have said unto you. I have said to you. Ye shall inherit their land. You're going to take their land. And I will give it unto you I'm to possess it. I'm going to give it to you to possess it. A land that floweth with milk and A honey. A land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. Which have separated you from other people. Which has separated you from other people. Ye shall therefore put difference. You shall put difference between clean beast and unclean. Clean and unclean. And between unclean fowls and clean. Yes. And ye shall not make your souls abominable by yes. beast. Yes. Or by fowl. Or by any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground. Back up to the to the separated verse. All right. 24. All that's good stuff. You can read it when you get home. Yeah. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. Which have separated you which from other people. Yes. Read on. Amen. Ye shall therefore put difference between clean beast and unclean. And back, between unclean cow. further. Put it in reverse. Let's go back again. <laughs> I want you to read about where he tells them what he's going to do for them if they'll get separated. But I have said unto you, I've said to you, ye shall inherit their land. You're going to get their land. And I will give it unto you to I'm possess I'm going to give it unto you for possession. A land that floweth with milk Whoa, and honey. Oh, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. How many want to be blessed of the Lord? Yeah. How many want God's blessing? How come we have let the devil come along trying to convince a bunch of us? That if we'll compromise with the world, we can have more of the blessing of God. Where in the world did such an idea come from? God lets us know clearly that the blessing of the Lord is conditional upon our subjecting ourselves to the doctrine and the teaching of separation. the Lord if you believe it tonight. Now I'm not going to take a long time on this because I want to get to where I really want to preach here in just a while. But another disturbing thing, another disturbing perception that I run into in the world of Pentecost. Oh, what a diversified world that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that perception is this, that our standard 
are man-made. Did any other preachers ever run it? Any of your, your brother ever run it? Oh, yeah. That's just man-made stuff. Yeah. I want you to understand. Modesty of dress is still in God's Bible. It's there. It's scriptural. God decided that's how it ought to be. The teaching against Decade ourselves with jewelry and ornaments is still in God's Bible. Yes, sir, brother. That's God's book that it's in. Personally, I have not been able to discover allowances for sentimental or cultural reasons. That's right. That's right. He just said, don't do it. I don't want to offend. I don't even know what everybody believes here tonight. God help me. That's right, brother. We went into country of Fiji. Got to open the door for us to go into Fiji. There, there are two populations in Fiji. There's the Fijian native, and there's the uh, Fijian Indian who who have come there from India. Uh, they came as indentured servants, brought there by the British in uh, the early 1800s. They, they came to, and now the population is 50-50. Two different cultures, two different populations all together. God saved a man in our church, powerful man of God, who has gone back to Fiji a number of times. We have sent him there and he's established many, many churches, baptized hundreds and even thousands of people in the name of the Lord Jesus. Indian people uh, from India who who have come there, and, and now Fiji is their homeland. And uh, previous, all the, ap- the work amongst apostolics was with the, with the Fijian native, <coughs> different language, different culture. But now we have a number of churches there, and, and thousands of people baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus as a result of Brother Eudaniel Ryan's ministry and the Lord using him in that land. He went there, and, uh, and uh, he began to, to teach the people against all forms of jewelry. Some of the people from the, uh, from the Fijian, native Fijian group came and said, don't come here and cause confusion amongst us because we tolerate and allow the wearing of a wedding ring in our churches. And so Brother Uday said, you don't understand. Let me explain to you. In, in the Indian culture, when a bride is brought to the altar of marriage, it's not our custom just to put a ring on her finger. We deck her with jewels and with ornaments. We put the dot on her head, which has some particular significance, but it, 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 it also testifies of the fact that she's married. We do all of that. Amen. How can I tell these people that it's all right for them to go ahead and use the ring on the finger as a symbol of marriage and not do all of the other ornamentation that they are so accustomed to. I think a whole lot of us need to ask the same question. I tell you, I don't find anywhere in God's Bible where jewelry is tolerated because of sentimental or cultural reasons. 
I can just say, see where he said, don't do it. It's not my idea. Two of the greatest apostles that ever lived. If I were to ask you who the two greatest apostles who ever wrote in the New Testament are, 90% of you would say Peter and Paul. And both of them stood up and testified and said, don't wear gold. And they didn't say it's all right for cultural or sentimental reasons. If you can find that part of it, show it to me. They just said don't do it. Maybe you're willing to go out on a limb yourself and say it's all right. Maybe you want to take the responsibility of speaking for God and saying it's all right. I've got to stick to God's Bible. But don't look at me funny out of the corner of your eye and say I got this idea somewhere out of the blue or from some redneck, red-eyed, radical preacher. It's scriptural. It's Bible. Our standards are Bible standards. Our standards of separation. The standards are merely distinctions in our lifestyle. They are marks of our separation. Evidences of the fact we don't live like the world lives. We don't do what they do. Praise God. Amen. Long hair on women left alone to grow is still scriptural. That's not just our idea, it's Bible. Women not wearing men's apparel is still scriptural. And I challenge you to find a place in God's Bible where a woman was instructed to gird up her loins. Gird up your loins like a man. Girded loins were intended for men to fight in battle and to ride beast and do manly things. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't know what it means to gird up your loins. Women wore garments which did, which did not have provision for the girding of the loins. But men wore garments which provided for the girding of the Lord. When they got ready to ride an animal or to do a manly task, they would reach down to the hinder part of their garment, pull it forward, tuck it in their belt, thus forming what is called breeches or breeches. And it was only done by men. That's right. Don't come along and tell me that we're just wild-eyed fanatics because we don't believe women ought to wear pants. It's men's apparel. It always was. It's exactly what he was talking about when he said a woman shall not wear that that pertaineth unto a man. Praise God. Amen. Amen. This is Bible stuff I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. Not just our ideas. These are, these are scriptural doctrines which are marks of the distinction of who we are. 
We're a separated people. We don't talk like they talk. We don't go where they go. We don't live like they live. We don't dress like they dress. We're a called out people if you are a child of God. You're a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones. Praise God. Amen. Let me just throw in here uh, this statement. Beware of the carnal arrogance of those who ignore the traditions of the elders. Are you folks ready for me to quit? Because i got a lot more preaching to do. I haven't got to the good part yet. What time do you usually quit? Okay, I can do that. He said midnight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Beware of the carnal arrogance of those who ignore the traditions of the elders. That's right. They come along sneering, you know. Ah, it's just a tradition. Come on. Well, what do you mean just a tradition? It could be a tradition the Holy Ghost instructed the elders to establish in the church. That's right. You better find out if it is or not before you do away with it. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 15 says this, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Just because it's a tradition doesn't mean you are authorized to just cast it away. It could be a God-ordained tradition. There could be a reason God established it in the church. God established a tradition in this modern day of Pentecost of God's people not having televisions in their home. Now you can believe what you want to believe. You may not believe that was a work of the Holy Ghost. I believe the Holy Ghost directed our elders to establish it in the church. If you wanted, to, you wanted to argue about whether or not God was in that, you'd have had a whole lot better argument when they did it than you do now. Right. The worst thing on there, when they took their stand against television in the homes of apostolic people, was I Love Lucy. But the Holy Ghost knew that in about 50 years there was going to be something called cable. The Holy Ghost knew that it was going to become the greatest medium the devil ever had in his possession to pipe all kinds of ungodliness and debauchery and sin and deceit and sinful concepts and the values of the world right into the homes of people. Think what you want to think. The Holy Ghost moved on our elders to establish that tradition. And you better beware of the carnal-minded arrogance of some Johnny-come-lately that says it doesn't matter. Hallelujah. God knows what he's doing. And before you cast the tradition away, you better make sure it is not a God-ordained tradition. 
because God does put traditions in the church for the good of his people, for the salvation of his people, for the keeping of the church. Clap your hands to the Lord. Give him praise. I never lived in a house. Never lived in a house with a television set. Thank God. Never have. Amen. I'm not deformed. I get along pretty well in this life, this, this whole world I'm passing through. Walk down the street, people don't look at me like, ooh, look at that freak. Look at him. He didn't, he didn't watch television. He's never lived in a house with a television set. They don't even know it, believe it or not. When I walk in the bank, they don't even know that I've never lived in a home without a television. They think I'm a normal person. You don't have to have it. As a matter of fact, blessed is the man and the woman. Blessed is the daddy. Blessed is the pastor that understands it is an evil device. I'll tell you something else. While I'm out here on this and just feel like I got plenty of time, I got to midnight, I got to fill in some space here. You do what you want to do, you're going to anyway. But you know what? When, when they first began to try to make some choices about video, yes, sir. I, didn't, I didn't jump on anybody's bandwagon. Oh, I got some good buddies. jump on anybody's bandwagon. Oh, I got some good buddies. Just were snorling and biting at the bits the first time somebody said video. I said, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to pray about this. And I'm going to watch a little bit and see what happens. And everywhere I saw video, just a little while I saw television. Uh-huh. I said, ever home where I saw video, not in my church, but around. Oh, yeah. Then in a little while I saw television. Yeah. <laughs> and and they were using the video for more base things than they had actually or would use the television for. And so I said to our church, we're just not going to do it. All right. We're not going to do it. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to get them. If you got any form of video, whether it's a, a camcorder or, or a video of a different name, uh-huh. yeah. just, just go, go sell it or give it away or do That's something, it. get rid of it. It wasn't complicated. That's it. We just got rid of them. That's if you it. had a few of them did, they got rid of them. That's been a number of years. And my goodness, I have people who are absolutely astonished 
that we're still able to have some growth in the church. They are just blown away that we don't have a library of our services where new converts can go pick out. And we have no means for them to see them if we just don't have it. Right. Amen. You know what I really believe? I don't believe that our church has been less blessed or has progressed less because we did not embrace video. I believe we have advanced more quickly and have run faster with the gospel through our city than we would have if we had gotten bogged down with that baggage. I'm so glad when we come to church, my folks don't have to, they don't have to swim through a whole sea of evil and ungodly images and thoughts and words that have been channeled into their spirit and their mind. But no, I'm glad from the first note of the first song, their spirit can make contact with the Holy Spirit. And God can move in that house. That's why we have people get the Holy Ghost in the song service. That's why we have people get the Holy Ghost in the prayer rooms. That's why we have people get the Holy Ghost before the church service ever gets started. Because we didn't bring a whole lot of baggage, worldly, ungodly garbage along with us into the house of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. That's my introduction. Sometimes I preach all the rest of my sermon quicker than I do the introduction, so don't get nervous. Lot was with Abraham when he left Haran. Lot understood. Now, we read it to you in our text tonight. It said, and Lot was with him. You see, Abraham's father, Abram's father, Terah, is actually the one who was called out of the Ur of Chaldees. He went halfway to the Canaan land, and he stopped. And it wasn't long, it wasn't too many years, that in that halfway place, all of the same idolatry and heathenism that he had left in the Ur of the Chaldees was springing up and becoming a normal practice amongst his seed and his people there at the halfway point. Now, that's another message. But because Terah did not go where God really was calling him to, did not really go as far as God wanted him to go, he had to call his son, Abram, out of Haran. And when he called him out, Lot was with him. Lot understood what God wanted. Lot understood the principle of the separated life. He understood the concept of a separated life because he came out along with Abraham. He lived with Abraham. He worked with Abraham. He knew how it was supposed to be. He knew how God wanted them to live. He had lived the separated life. Do you hear me tonight? 
Lot had lived that life of separation. But when it came time for a division between Lot's herdsmen and those of Abraham, Lot began to look towards the well-watered place. A lot of times it began the process of backsliding away from the separated life or the lifestyle of separation. A lot of times it begins when you just allow your eyes to linger too long on the things of this old world. When you get to looking too often in too many ways at the things of this old world. Because if you do, what ha will happen to you is what happened to Lot next. He began to be attracted by the things of this world. And the Bible said he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He didn't go down there immediately. He just started looking that way. After he'd been looking that way a while, he pitched his tent. I've seen it happen to apostolic preachers over and over again. They just start looking that way. And after a while, they get to saying little things, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, little, it's little comments like, you know, maybe we're just a little too far out. Maybe, maybe we're just a little too fanatical, you know. Or just a little sneer or a little chiding about, about some standard that maybe we have had through the years. They, they just get to looking out there at people that don't live this way. And it's not long until they pitch their tip. I'm telling you, we got folks right now within the circles of Pentecost, within the fellowship uh, that uh, we all move in, who have already pitched their tent in that direction. I believe that, brother. Yes. I believe it. And unless God intervenes miraculously and does a work in their heart, the rest of the process is going to happen. Yes, it will. Yes. I'm not a negative preacher, and believe me, I, I, I won't finish negative tonight. If you've heard me preach before, you know I'm not. But I'm telling you, there are those who are amongst us that not only have considered the ways of the world, they have not only looked at it, but they have actually pitched their tent, and it's only a matter of time until their mind begins to... to to give to them certain uh, deductions and, and thoughts. They're going to say to themselves, you know, that's what I could have out yonder. That's what I'm missing because of this life of separation. I could have a church building like that. I could have a congregation that big. I could have a choir like that. I could have what that church across town has. I, I can have those things that I am being denied because of the life of separation that I am living. Talk about it, brother. That's the way the mind starts working. Once you look that way long enough, and then you pitch your tent in that direction, it's not long until you're thinking, you know, if, if I just didn't have to preach these standards, I could fill this church up in a Come on. Oh, the devil's hoodwinking you, yes, if that's the kind of thought you yes, have. Yes. Brother King, you believe what I'm preaching tonight. How in the world did she let you come down there and sit by you after what you said about Texas? 
They said, you can't tell a Texan. Who was it, Brother Davis? Said, you can't tell a Texan anything? Boy, he shouted. Did you hear him? He shouted loud. She's a Texan. She is a merciful woman. Praise God. Amen. They look that way. Then they pitch their tent. And it's not long until they live there. Right. Amen. Now, after they move there, they'll tell you they're going to retain their relationship with God. Uh-huh. Lot tried to also. Yes, he did. But it wasn't long until he found himself sitting at the gate of the city, which means he was, he was involved in the goings-on of Sodom. Yes, he was. He was involved in the system. He had got entangled in the system. He was sitting at the gate. It means he was a judge. He was a man of prominence. He was a man of authority. He was a man who, who was a part of their system. He had gotten there merely by beginning to look that way. Then he pitched his tent. Finally, he moved on down there. And after a while, he was not even able to maintain his integrity with God. I'm telling you, there is a consequence. It is a sad, sad consequence when we forsake this separated lifestyle that God has blessed us with. Now, I understand I'm not preaching anything fancy nor deep tonight. I know exactly what I'm doing here tonight. Uh, you come tomorrow afternoon, I'll put some stuff on you that'll make your head spin. All you smart people that think you've got to have an intellectual dissertation every time somebody comes to preach to you, you just come tomorrow. I'll give you some things you never thought of before. It'll blow your mind. I promise you, you, you you're going to think, man, he is way out in the ozone somewhere. I'll do that just for you tomorrow afternoon. Right now, I'm preaching beans and cornbread. Simple stuff. Because you know what? We've got to hear more of this. I made up my mind. I promise God this year, everywhere I go, if they let me preach, I'm going to preach this message. Now, I'll preach more than this if they give me more than one night. But somewhere along the line, I'm going to zero in on the old-fashioned doctrine of separation from the world. I've seen too many lives ruined. I've seen too many families ruined. I've seen too many preachers' families destroyed because they started looking towards Sodom. Then they pitched their tent. Then they moved on down there. I'm telling you, it's a terrible consequence. Amen. Lost his daughters first. Maybe the thought doesn't bother you, but I'm telling you, it haunts me, Misty, to think that we would ever see you dressed in an ungodly fashion. The very thought rips my heart out to think that we would see makeup and jewelry and immodest apparel of this precious young godly lady that we would see her cheapened by the ways and the doings of this world I can't think of anything that's more terrible but the first thing Lot lost after he found himself down there where he thought it was better than the separated life the first thing he lost was his daughters I can't imagine the horror of seeing my, my godly young daughter who is a pastor's wife now coming sashaying in with cut and dyed hair and painted face and jewelry and a miniskirt on. I can't imagine the horror of that. 
see it happen. I'm telling you, if you're looking that way and you're pitching your tent that way, you better get on your face before God because there's a horrible consequence you have not yet considered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Wasn't long till he lost his wife. I don't have to tell you the whole story, but he lost his wife over it too. The young evangelist came to preach for me for years off and on. We had some great revivals. I'll never forget when he began to first look that way. Then he began to pitch his tent towards the world. He had such a precious, sweet, godly, Holy Ghost-filled young wife, talented, sang with the anointing. I remember when he first came, he wanted to debate with me about some issues of jewelry and, you know, some standards and he was changing his ideas. He was starting to look out there. Things out there were looking good to him. He wanted, he wanted me to endorse his thoughts and his ideas that seemingly were changing. And then he began to press her to go with him, you know. How good she'd look, he said to her. She'd just trim her hair up a little bit. Just deck herself out a little bit. Don't be so plain. He pushed her and she didn't want to do it. She didn't, want to, she didn't want to go live there. She didn't want to be like those people. She had raised in an apostolic little country, apostolic church in Mississippi. She didn't know anything but Pentecost all her life, and she didn't have a desire. But he pushed her. said, come on, look how good it is. Look how good it is. I don't need to tell you the rest of the story. She finally went, and she went all the way, and he never, ever got her back. Terrible consequence. Finally, Lot ended up with his own perversion. His own perversion. I'm telling you, when men who have known the beauty and they have known the value and they have understood this is the way God wants it to be, turn their back on it. Just give it time. You're going to see the consequence in their children, in their marriage, and in the perversion of their own life. Tell it, tell it, tell it, brother. It shall come to pass. Amen. Amen. Nobody escapes the consequence. And it won't work. It won't bring the blessing or the good things that they go out there seeking for. The improvement that they're looking for. They never find. I can quit now. You folks still with me? Go a little further. Separation is not restrictive to growth and revival. No, sir. <laughs> separation from the world, a lifestyle of separation, the doctrine of separation is not restrictive to growth and revival in a church. I want to say it in case the devil doesn't know that we understand tonight. Devil, you'd like to keep it a secret to us. And you'd like to deceive us and cause us to think otherwise. 
But we know tonight that the life of separation, the doctrine of separation from the world is not restrictive or a hindrance to growth and revival in an apostolic church. But rather, it is conducive. I said it's conducive. It doesn't hinder revival. It's the fuel of revival. I liked it when what Brother Davis was talking about tonight. He's 100% correct. Amen. There is no place in the world God had rather moved by his power and his glory than right here in this room tonight. He's not looking for an arena with a white-coated Trinitarian preacher that doesn't even know who Jesus is. Oh, but right here in this room where there are people who know Jesus, who have come out from the world and separated themselves unto him, right here he'd like to open blinded eyes and unstop deaf ears and cause the lame to walk. Right here he'd like to perform the miraculous. Hallelujah, clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Be seated. Now let me let me try it out here on some water. It may make you a little nervous. You ready? Are you ready? Look up here and say, I'm ready, Brother Keys. Okay. I've been preaching to you about folks who have succumbed to the devil's lie that growth and revival could come about because of compromise and taking on the ways of the world. They have succumbed to that lie of the devil. And they've tried it, and it doesn't work. I can give you many examples. I've got friends right there in California. Uh, there, there's a man, you know, he's, not, he's down not far from you. In fact, he was in your section. And when he and I started pastoring in our particular church, we started about the same time. We had churches of similar size. We grew at about the same rate. We had Sunday school contests with each other. We were neck and neck. He had a good standard. He believed in the things that I've been talking about tonight. He preached them. He adhered to them. Amen. And uh, sometimes he beat us in the Sunday school competition. And we were growing along together. But somewhere along the line, he let pressure from the outside somehow convince him that there was a shortcut to growth and revival, that compromise was an easier way to get it, and that he'd somehow kick in the afterburners and take off and leave all the rest of us behind if he would just uh, uh, lay aside some of these uh, uh, old-fashioned ideas. And so he did. I'm preaching to you tonight. Our church is probably ten times the size of his. I'm preaching the same thing I did 25 years ago, preaching the same thing I did 16 years ago when I went to Modesto, but he changed and he probably didn't have half the church, that's only one time, I can cite you example after example after example, I'm telling you, there are victims of that lie who are scattered all over the landscape of Pentecost, who have believed if they would compromise, they could have growth and revival, they're victims of the lie. Some of us are victims of the lie. We believe the same lie. The only difference is they believed it and compromised. 
Some of us believed it and didn't compromise. Oh, that's good preaching. Good preaching. They're victims and we're victims. Yeah. They're victims because they tried it and it didn't work. We're victims because we believed it. And we just kept on preaching and saying, oh, bless God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to compromise even though I can't grow. Oh, that's good preaching, brother. You're as much a victim of the lie, bless your good little heart. Yeah. It's the guy that believed it and did it. it you swallowed the devil's lie just as big as he did. Well, bless God, the reason I only got 15 here is because I preach a standard. Come on, brother. You're a victim of a lie. That's not why you got 15. You got 15 because you believe that if you preach a standard, you've got to have 15. Now, I'm not talking about somebody just started. I'm not despising the day of small things. But I'm despising staying there for 20 years. That's right. Same lie from the same devil, and you believed it just like they did. You just said, I'm not going to compromise. And they said, well, I am going to compromise. And so they did compromise, and it didn't work. And you didn't compromise, and because you believe the lie, it's not working for you either. You're going to have 15 to Jesus come, as long as you believe that dirty, low-down, stinking lie. It's a filthy, unrighteous lie from the mastermind of all deceivers that's got you convinced the reason your church is stymied and not growing and you're not having Holy Ghost revival is because you believe in the doctrine of separation. I've come to preach to you tonight that separation is not a hindrance to revival. It is the reason for revival. It's the reason God wants to bless us. It's the reason why God will do good things for us. It is the condition of the blessing. It is the prerequisite of the blessing. God said, come out. I'll take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. Come on out. Separate yourself. I got good things for you. I got power and glory and might. Hallelujah. Go ahead and sit there and believe that old lie. Preach that old negative junk all you want to preach. And you're never going to have a move of God. But put it in the hearts of your people. God loves a separated people. God loves a separated life. That's why the glory's here. That's why the power's here. That's why we feel what we feel. That's why what's happening is happening. worship God in this house. Somebody ought to worship God. Somebody ought to worship God. We need God to help us. I said, this is where we need God to help us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Somewhere, some places where I would preach on this subject, the biggest focus needs to be on the part I've preached before now. 
But in a meeting like this one, will you folks believe separation? All right. This is where I need to work. Yeah. This is the road we need to dig on. Yeah. I tell you what, I try to not lose the Holy Ghost. I try not to get unkind and, and not be nice. But there's a slow burn that goes through me, starts somewhere down in my little toe, works its way up all the way through my body until my head, my face begins to get red and my head begins to throb. When I, when I hear people propagating this concept, and sometimes it comes across in such underhanded ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ooh, I just get mad all over. When they, when they somehow make us think, oh, we buy the garbage, we buy the package. That the reason that charismatic church across town is so big is because they don't preach anything. Come on. Come on, brother. Some of you are quiet because you said it. Come on. You said it before. It's not true. Not true. That's not true. The charismatic church across town is not even big. A little old Sunday school class for a real apostolic church. All right. Oh, man. Talk about a snag. We hit one here. Tell it, tell it, brother. Hallelujah. Amen. We don't, we don't need, we don't need the philosophies of the so-called church experts. That's right, brother. That's right. I guess he taped this, don't you? Oh, boy. We, we don't need. We, we, we don't need them to come teach us how to build churches. Tell it, tell it, tell it. Tell it, brother. They don't even understand. They're not even in the league. They're not, they don't even. You say, well, Brother Keith, they have big old churches. Compared to what? Compared to what? Compared to us or compared to Jerusalem? Yeah. Compared to us or compared to Ephesus church? Yeah. Compared to what? I'm not interested in having a little church like the charismatic folks got right across town. That's not what I've dedicated my life to the pursuit of. I've dedicated my life to the pursuit of having an apostolic church. An apostolic church will turn a city upside down. An apostolic church will put the idol makers out of business. An apostolic church will close the ballrooms. An apostolic church, you'll see tens of thousands receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't believe that many people can get the Holy Ghost. Tear the book of Acts out of your Bible and do it now. We need church experts to tell us how to set up nurseries. Uh -huh. We need church experts to tell us. Of course, we don't have any in the apostolic ranks. We have to go get a Trinitarian one. Come on, brother. We'll have to go get one that doesn't believe anything we believe because we don't have any amongst us that are quote-unquote church experts. So we have to get them to tell us how to do it. Come on, brother. I'm telling you what, your 12-year-olds could figure out how to set up a nursery. 
no big deal except the nursery set up a nursery. You, you got people to do that in their sleep. Let me tell you something. There, there are two different levels that so-called Christianity operates on in our world today. One is a level of the impersonal side of God. You see, there's a side of God that is impersonal. We, I'll quit here in about ten minutes if you just listen a little while longer. There is an impersonal side of God where it doesn't matter who does it. God has just set that law into operation and there's no relationship between God and the person who applies the law. It just works. I believe that. It doesn't matter Amen. who you are. It doesn't matter if you're an adulterer, homosexual. It doesn't matter how evil you are or how good you are. If you do it, it works or it doesn't work. Let me give you a very simple example. The law of gravity. Okay. Don't think you can talk in tongues tonight long enough to go climb on top of this building and jump off and everything be okay. <laughs> That's an impersonal law. Yes, it is. God has an impersonal side. And, and you can use gravity or abuse gravity regardless of who you... And when I flew here today, as the church said, and got on the plane, I did not stop by the pilot's door and look in there and say, Sir, have you got the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name or I'm not going up in this plane? <laughs> if I had any questions, I would want to know, do you know how to fly, fly the plane? <laughs> it didn't matter his status. I didn't care who he slept with last night. I, I, but I want to make sure that he knows how to fly that plane. That's it. That's it. That's it. If you want to operate in that level, there's things you can do and you can accomplish some things. Like you can build something. Call it a church. Call it a corporation. Call it whatever you want to. If you learn enough of those impersonal laws that work for you regardless of your spiritual standing or your knowledge or in how much in truth you have embraced. Oh, that's good preaching, brother. It'll work for you. Good. You can build a church, a so-called church, at that level, if you want to. Yeah, that's good preaching. But that's not the apostolic level. No, sir. And that level has its limitations. Yes, sir, it does. Oh, yes. But he said, come you out and be you separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Now that's a personal relationship. That's a daddy-son relationship. That's, that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a personal thing. Amen. He, I, I'm going to be something to you, not because of what you are, but because that's just the way it is. If you come out and separate yourself from the world, you have stepped up from the level of impersonal relationship to God unto, onto a level of personal relationship with God. And up here, friend, it's a whole new dimension. That's where the apostles lived. I said that's where the apostles built their churches. That's where the New Testament church operated. Not down here on get your nursery right. Make sure your usher's standing there right. No, move over six inches. He's not right in the right place. No, sir, get that smile. Well, make sure you don't miss that greeter card now. All that stuff is, that's cause and effect, see. 
Is any of this making sense? I hope it does, because if you get this, it'll help you build a church. Hallelujah. It's cause and effect. Anybody can push that button and get that result. You learn enough of those buttons, you can get some results. You can build a lion's club that way. But if you want a New Testament revival, you've got to come out and get out of that personal. If that's where you want to live and work and build your church, my God, it'll drive you crazy too. But there's another way for this. To, there's a higher dimension. You step into that relationship that God reserves only for those who have consecrated and sanctified their lives unto him. They have set themselves aside unto the cause and purpose of Jesus Christ in the world. When you step up on that level, friend, praise God. That's where the Holy Ghost tells you where to go. That's where the Holy Ghost tells you, Ananias, what street to go down to and what house Saul's in and where the door is, what the name of the man is that, that he's home he is at. That's, that's, that's where the Holy Ghost says, don't go, no, you, you, you want to get, get a revival over in uh, uh, Asia? Go to Europe. Yeah. So I said, I don't understand that. I want to go to Asia and have a revival. Go to Europe. He goes down to Europe. He finds a lady down there from Asia. Sell her a purple, purple and wins her to God at a prayer meeting in Europe. She goes back and starts the church of Thyra Tyra. Yeah, it happened, brother. That doesn't happen down here for the people that are working all the time on the ushers and the greeters and the greeter cards and all the making sure they're all. You folks aren't good. All right. You not understand what I'm talking about. That happens for people who will come out and say, I want to be a son of God. I want to be a child of God. I'm going to live in a higher plateau. You can be led of the Spirit. You can experience things in God that you never dreamed. Come on, stand to your feet and clap your hands to the Lord. we need is a bunch of people that consecrate themselves unto God. Hallelujah. They live for Him in the way they talk, in the way they dress, in the places they go. They'll pray, they'll fast, they'll seek God. They'll turn their back on the things of this world and set their affections on the things that are above. I'm telling you, people that live that way, God's got revival for us that we have never even fantasized about. Not a hindrance, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, in the world of real consecration and sanctification, in the world of real sanctification, is where the real power of God lies. Don't you think that this life of separation is a hindrance to revive? It is a prerequisite to a blessing. Abraham, if you'll come out, you come out. Now that you're out, I want you to look to the north. I want you to look to the south. I never said this to you when you was living down there in Haran. But now that you're out, I want you to look to the east. And I want you to look to the west. I give it all to you. Everywhere you walk and set your feet as far as you want to go, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you.
I'll give it to you. It's a condition of the blessing. If you'll come out, I've got a land that flows with milk and honey. Hallelujah. Quit going back and finding out how they do it, trying to learn their ways of carrying on in the world. Step up to the higher level where your life and your existence has been separated unto God. Therein is the power and the blessing of God. I don't know how much I've got done tonight, but I want to drive from the thinking of God's people who are in this place tonight that we are some little insignificant people and that we can never have great impact or influence on the course of the human affairs of mankind because we're just so different. No, we live in a world of unimaginable power because we're willing to submit ourselves to the doctrine of separation. Blinded eyes can be opened. I'm telling you, in Ethiopia last year, I can't tell you how many got the Holy Ghost. I know there was people getting the Holy Ghost as far as I could see in every direction. That's what I know. But I saw the man with the cataracts. It was like milk that covered his eyes. And when I laid my hands on his head, I watched that milkiness start to clear in the pupil of both eyes simultaneously and begin to go back to the outer perimeters of his eyes until it was completely gone and his eye was clear as anybody's who's in this building. Oh, how I saw it. One after the other, I saw blinded eyes open. Miraculous things happen. Amen. That's not down there in the world of trying to make sure. There's nothing wrong with keeping good records, but that's not where it's at, friend. Where the real power is, is up here. Where people will say, all right, you can have the world. You can have the garbage. You can have the filth. You can have all that stuff that's so contrary and opposite to the Holy Spirit of God that I cherish. I want to walk in the Spirit I want to be led of the Spirit. Therein is the power of God for apostolic revival. Would you lift your hands again to the Lord? tonight. Let's make our way to this altar. Let's commit ourselves to him afresh and anew. Follow those old paths again. To do what he wants us to do. To be what he wants us to be. Because we hunger and thirst after an old fashioned Holy Ghost sent revival. Revival in Jesus name. Revival in our state. Revival in our city. Oh, how we need that heaven-sent revival. We need an old-fashioned heaven-sent Holy Ghost revival. 